At the intersection of true crime and real estate, you'll find Crime Estate. I'm Heather. And my name is Elena. As real estate agents and true crime junkies, we view crimes through a different lens. So walk through the door of some of the most notorious true crimes with us and discover how sometimes the scene of the crime has its own story to tell. Hey, ladies, we're back with another Crime Estate episode. I'm so glad to see you guys today. I know, it's been a few weeks, no? Yeah, everybody's been traveling for summer. As a matter of fact, um, I just recorded our first mini-sode, which, you know, if you're listening to this in order, was not what you last listened to, but, you know, we record a couple weeks in advance. Mm -hmm. So I'm glad y'all are back and no longer on vacation. Yeah, I I feel like we're forced back, like abrupt back to school all of a sudden. Back from vacation, back to school. Is so early this year. I mean, so our wedding anniversary is like mid to late August. And we used to be on vacation every year on our anniversary, and that was great. Um, but now we're back to school like a couple weeks in already. I know it's ridiculous, but it's fun. I'm I'm both happy and sad they're going back to school. So, okay, so in the boohoo woohoo champagne on Monday morning of the first day of school, where are you? Are you a boohoo or a woohoo? Woohoo. Woohoo. Okay. For sure. What about you, Mel? Oh, yeah. Woohoo. So we're going to get champagne. Is that what I'm reading, <laughs> I'm reading between the lines? Obviously. Okay. <laughs> Obviously. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I think that every year at this time, we're like, wow, it went by so fast. I think that here in Texas, it is so freaking hot right now that there's not honestly a lot to do. Like my, you know, my kids are kind of bored, you know, that, you know, because other than going to the pool and even then the pool is really hot, it's not super exciting. So I'm kind of like, okay, might as well go back to school and be in the air conditioning. Learn and, something. Yeah. I mean, get some, be productive because late May when we can get out, if we can get out before Memorial Day, the weather's usually really nice and it, you know, there's more outdoors, but yeah, it, As having older kids now, I do kind of like the summers in the sense that I don't have to pay for nonstop camp every day. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I used to think that summers were way more expensive for me than, uh, you know, during the school year just because of having to find childcare. Um, And then I also like the fact that I didn't have to feed them every meal. Like they were kind (laughs) of self-sufficient. They grazed a lot of grazing going on at our house. But I do think there's something to be about getting it back to a pattern and to a rhythm mm-hmm. um, that I'm looking forward to. Yeah. So I'm um, I'm looking forward to him eating at school. You know, I, my <laughs> Costco bill has been sort of outrageous this summer. And uh, I only have the one, but, you know, usually we have people over and I'm feeding boys all day long, which I love. But, you know. Yeah. Free, free school lunch is awesome. So to recap, we're dropping the kids off, coming over here, having champagne and eating your son's leftover summer snacks. Yeah. And maybe swimming in the pool while he isn't here. I'm ready. Let's do that. ready. That sounds awesome. Okay. Well, other people that are swimming in the pool, today's episode takes us to the state of Florida, where I bet every house has a pool. Do you think? You lived in Florida when you have a pool? It It seems like a lot. It seems like a lot of them in Florida have pools. Well, and a lot of them have those like like an indoor pool, but not in the creepy way that we've talked about before with mm-hmm. like sort of this like covered patio. I, it's I like mean, a net. Yeah. 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 It, 
is it called a lanai or am I thinking Hawaii? Um, but no, I've, I've definitely know what you're talking about. I've been to the, uh, been to houses in Florida like that. It, it, I think it really is an outdoor pool, but it um, provides some shade and Protection from some the weather. Mosquitoes. Yeah. And alligators. Okay. Oh, probably the alligator shoot. Yeah. yeah. So if you live in Florida and you know what that fabulous room with an outdoor pool is called, shoot us an email at crimeestatepodcast at gmail.com or just, you know, hey, send us a message on some of our Instagram, Facebook, social media channels. So let's get into today's I'm excited. episode. I haven't read this at all. I'm excited to hear it. Yeah, because we are in summer mode where we are just like flying by the seat of Winging our pants. It. Winging it. Here we go. All right. So today's episode takes us to the oldest city in the United States. Pop quiz. Do you all know where that is? I actually do. I huh. do too. Okay. Uh, uh, Melanie, what is your answer? St. Augustine, Florida. Okay. St. Augustine, Florida. Good job. You all did very <laughs> we are well great in history with class. Our geography. Yeah, so St. Augustine was actually founded 42 years before Jamestown and 55 years before the Pilgrims established before the Pilgrims established Plymouth, Massachusetts. Wow. Okay. Isn't that impressive? That, that is. is very I, when you frame it that way, it's really impressive. Right. Well, for me, history just is all like it's just history. You know what I mean? Like from about 1600 to 1850 all happened in the course of about 100 years in my brain. Wow. Yeah. Your history buff family would have yeah. trouble with that. Okay. But so if you're picturing a map of Florida in your head, you'll find St. Augustine on the northeast coast, just south of Jacksonville and north of Daytona Beach. Okay. And interestingly enough, it served as the capital of Florida until 1824. Okay. Now, our folklore tells us that Ponce de Leon originally discovered Florida in his search for the Fountain of Youth, but St. Augustine was actually founded by Spanish Admiral Pedro Menendez de Avilas. Am I saying that right, Elena? I, why are you asking me? Well, I feel I like you should know. I don't speak okay. Spanish at all. Okay. okay. For those I, I of you who I don't think, know, uh, Elena is Hispanic, but we speak more Spanish than she does. It's true. Fourth generation, so. Love it. It's removed. Okay. So then you're not going to criticize me on the pronunciation of his if name. you don't criticize me. Sounds great. Oh, okay. Sounds great. Deal. Deal. All right. So he founded uh, St. Augustine in 1565. Not surprisingly, he brought with him a Spanish influence to the architecture of the homes, the buildings, and the bridges. And when I think of architecture in St. Augustine, I'll say, I have been there. Have y'all been there before? I have not. I have not either. My cousin got married there. It is gorgeous. I bet. Um, so thanks, Mackenzie, for bringing me to St. Augustine. Um, you know, I picture these Spanish colonial sort of revival-style buildings. Think stucco, two-story homes— with beautiful clay tile roofs, um, lots of iron detail. And, you know, we're actually seeing a lot of this style built now. I would call it like a Spanish Mediterranean mm -hmm. now in, in Dallas. We see a, a ton of these in terms of newer construction. Right. Where it's a little more of the light stucco and the red tile mm -hmm. roof. Mm -hmm. um, so it's still a very popular architectural style. And we should note, if you do hear construction noise, um, or Heather's house is getting finalized, and we're like kind of all laughing because we can hear our son's um, 
several rooms away and we're like, wow, um, they're, they're kind of loud and yet they know we're on air. So apologies. <laughs> They've if, been warned. The They've microphones warned. might not be picking it up, but um, if you hear us stop every now and then. Yeah, if, you st- <laughs> yeah, if we stop, we're like, oh shit, what was that? <laughs> okay, Sorry. can we cast on this? I mean, I label it as explicit. So I, I, we're talking about murder. I feel like uh, <laughs> I wasn't sure. here okay. and there oh, is pretty no. minor. Okay. <laughs> Now she's going to no holds barred. Give me another drink. See what I say. All right. So one of the other sort of discerning, um, excuse me, one of the other distinguishing characteristics of this style of home is going to be exposed one beam ceilings. And you're going to find the overall aesthetic is really designed to make use of local materials that would have been available in Spain and then in Florida at the time. Mm, okay. So it's in this old historic city and one of these gorgeous Spanish-style homes that we find Athalia Ponzel Lindsley living in 1974. Okay. Now, Athalia was originally born in Cuba to Anne Margarita and Charles Ponzel, and she lived on Cuba's Isle of Pines for the first nine years of her life until her dad was convicted of sedition. Okay. That sounds—the word sounds familiar? Yeah, I don't—do you know what sedition, sedition. is? Is that is that the no? That's prohibition. Is that like against the government? I think it's against the government. Yeah, okay. it's it's acting against the government. Okay. Have y'all ever been to Cuba? I have not. I I tried a couple of years back, and it seemed like a lot of challenge to get there. No, no. Mm-mm. My parents lived in Key West um, many many moons ago, probably about the same time Athalia was living mm. in Saint Augustine, and they would like fly to Cuba and fly back. Wow. But I don't wow. know if they ever landed. I think they would just like buzz over it. Okay, that's besides the point. That's cool though. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so her dad was pardoned, which is good news for the family, but um, only on the condition that he move out of the country. And so that's how the Ponzel family goes from Cuba to Florida, where they settled just north of St. Augustine in Jacksonville. Okay. Yeah, so uh, we fly into Jacksonville a lot when we go to Amelia Island. Have y'all been there? I don't think so. Okay. Well, if you are looking for a lovely place in Florida to visit, St. Augustine is great. So is Amelia Wait, Island. Which coast is that? Uh, East Coast. Okay. That's so not- for, from Texas, we do a lot of the West Coast of mm-hmm. Florida, like that whole 30A panhandle. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you want to fly into Jacksonville, okay. Amelia Island's about 30 minutes south. Yeah. This is uh, this is fun for me because it's a part of Florida that I'm not as familiar with. I've obviously done 30A many times. 30A, if you're not familiar with it, is basically where the state of Texas, at least Dallas, seems to go mm-hmm. on vacation yeah. in the summertime. It is very lovely. It is very um popular now. And so the prices and the crowdedness um, uh, reflect it. But it is very lovely. And and then I've been to Naples. I've been to Marco Island, been to Key West a lot. I, did y'all know I lived in Florida one, uh, oh, one summer? Oh, you are You've so well-traveled. Yeah. Oh, no, when I was in business school, I interned um, in Miami for a summer. A business school at Georgetown and you went to Florida? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, that, no, I mean, when you're interning in the summer, in the summertime. In the summer. Okay, the, gotcha. And, and, um, yeah. So like you'd go. All right. I actually had interviewed for the New York City office and was all excited when I got the offer. And then they're like, oops, actually you're in Florida. But it was fun. It was, it was a great yeah, summer to yeah. live there. And um, so I know lots of parts of Florida, but uh, the northeastern area, I do not know. So this is fun. Excellent. Yeah. So Mel, it's in that northeast part of Florida that we find this family living 
They settled just north of St. Augustine in Jacksonville. But in 1937, when Athalia was 20, she and her sister Geraldine moved to New York to model, act, sing, and dance. Now, she was tall, blonde, and thin with high cheekbones, and she was successful in being hired as a model, being featured in ads for Listerine toothpaste, as well as Lifetime magazine ads for Cremel shampoo, which read, Miss Athalia Ponzel, another divinely beautiful powers girl who has discovered the remarkable, beautifying action of Cremel shampoo. Teenage girls, glamour bathe your hair like gorgeous powers models. In addition to all of this, she also had a recurring role on a game show called Winner Takes All. So she was hot stuff. She was hot stuff. Is this reminding you all of anyone so far? Mm, Remind me. Refresh our memory. So it reminds me a little bit of our victim in episode seven, the Queen of Swiss Mm -hmm. Avenue, Mary Ellen Benson. Remember, she went to New York and... A lot of Life magazine ads. Yes, yes, yeah. So both Ringing hot stuff. Now. Both hot stuff. Both in the seventies. Mm, yeah, that's stretching my memory. Sorry, okay, Alana. Sorry, maybe that. I that would like, make sense. I feel like Benson was maybe a little earlier than okay. that. Maybe like mid fifties or sixties. Um, also, like Mary Ellen, Athalia had a high profile dating life as well. She dated Joseph Kennedy Jr. at one point. Oh. And again, reminiscent of Mary Ellen, in 1947, Athalia returns to Jacksonville and starts living in her parents' mansion. Okay. It's very, very similar. Very similar. So back in Jacksonville at her parents' mansion, Athalia briefly married Charles Bloom, who was an insurance agent and a real estate agent. Hey. I know, right? (laughs) But they divorced after only about a year of marriage. And she spent the majority of her time caring for her ailing mother. She wrote a book on gardening, and she patented a kitchen pot cleaning device. Hmm. And as if that wasn't enough, she sold a little bit of real estate. Girl after her own hearts. Yay. Yeah. Love it. Uh, Side note, I did try to look up the patent, which is there, but it doesn't tell me really anything. Oh, bummer. Yeah. What was the other patent we had somebody make? Oh, uh, the Los Feliz. Yes. Yeah. What was it? A syringe. That's right. Yes. Okay. Lots of uh, overlapping circles in our Venn diagram of people here. (laughs) All right. In 1971, when Athalia was 54, she sold the family's mansion in Riverside there in Jacksonville and moved herself and her mother to the home she purchased at 124 Marine Street in St. Augustine. Now, this home was really gorgeous. Uh, Melanie, you looked it up for us. It sat on almost half an acre on... um, you know, a lot that actually was on one of the main thoroughfares of town, mm-hmm. two stories, over 3,000 square feet. And we've got lots of pictures up on our website, but it's this beautiful, like, light-colored stucco with these green tile roofs, you know, both on the first story and second story. Mm-hmm. And reminiscent of this type of arch- architecture, it has lots of arched doorways mm-hmm. and lots of, like, mm-hmm. wrought iron detail. It really is just a gorgeous okay. home. right. And from day one, Athalia really did not fit into St. Augustine society. Remember, this is a really old town, the Mm -hmm. oldest in the United States. Right. And it really prides itself on its old money and its old family heritage. And Athalia's life in New York sort of branded her as a Yankee, and they considered her an outsider. That makes sense, even in our podcast that we've already done. I would 
would have said it makes sense, except for the fact that she grew up in Jacksonville. Like, well, but I mean, you know how it is. Like Jacksonville to St. Augustine is probably like Fort Worth to Dallas. Yeah, yeah, you're right. You know, I mean, like that, that's a that, different. Like women had their place. Well, uh, and I think in the old money, old South, that was very yeah. much true. Even in the seventies, yeah, like seen or not heard. Kind well, of. Yeah, I, I mean, more refined. I mean, I. I, this is a historic home, you know, so it was an older home, even when she, you know, she was living in it because it was a, what, 1925 or so house. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And if we're talking about the seventies, okay, I mean, I guess it's 50 years, so it's not really considered historic at that time, like it, we consider it today, but it, it, it was more genteel. I mean, it was described as a mansion, even at that time in, in the newspaper articles that I read. Well, and think about it, like her and her mother bought this house, mm -hmm. right? Or she bought it and brought her mother to live with her. This was not a family buying this home or it wasn't a family handing down mm -hmm. home to another generation. This was a woman who was single this, woman. Single woman who had done this on her own. Also, yeah. can we just say none of us would fit into oh. USA 1970s? Definitely not. <laughs> no. Yeah. And we can talk more about that as we go on. Okay. We, we start right. talking a little bit more about her personality because I'm like, go Athelia. And but yeah. I love we, it. Okay. We I love are her already. we are her spirit animals. I love um, her already. But yeah. Okay. So Despite her challenges uh, fitting into the society, she met and married James Jinx Lindsley in cool 1973. Cool, cool except that the history of it's really bad. Oh, okay. Like, his previous wife died. They had a child die. So they called him like oh. Jinx because he was bad luck. Oh, that's bad. Oh, oh no. Yeah. Oh, okay. Oh, yikes. Now, he was the former mayor of St. Augustine. So you would think that would have really like ingrained her. High society. Into, right? Like she moves in. She marries the former mayor. She knows what she's mm -hmm. doing. Goes straight to the top. And he'd also served as county commissioner. But his main job, might have guessed, was a real estate agent. Oh, Okay. So, you can't get in the way. You I know. Can't get I know. Away. I'm just, you know, we're bringing this podcast full circle today. <laughs> so we were not practicing real estate in the 1970s. Wasn't no. alive. No. Uh -uh. Mm -mm. I mean, late. Okay. Some of us oh, were alive. Of us were alive in the 1970s. <laughs> wow. <laughs> we wow. Forgot Wait, about, we we you forgot about you. <laughs> no, 79. 79. 76 here. Oh. <laughs> All right. Well, you weren't buying real estate in 1976. No, but, but no. I feel like in the mid 70s, let me let me see how much I know was mortgage high. Yes, yeah, so interest rates were really high. I mean, we're That's talking fine. about them being high now. They weren't anything like that. Uh, they were like they reached the nine percent in the mid to late seventies, and by the early eighties, mortgage rates were really at twenty two percent. I remember my mom tells the story. So I was born in Memphis in eighty one, and right before I was born, she found a house, and my dad had been out with buddies and had had a little bit too much to drink, and she came home and she was like, "We're buying this house. I need you to sign here," and she says like, our mortgage was twenty two percent. Yeah. Oh, my. Wow. See, so as awful as interest rates are at the moment, and I can only imagine with you as realtors, what you guys are experiencing with um, the market right now, um, historically, they're right. still low. So basically, buyers, don't be scared. That's right. Don't be We're scared. We're not at 22%. Yeah. Come on. What's your problem? It all evens out with a, <laughs> with a home price is dropping. Evens out. You can remortgage someday. Yeah. <laughs> All right, that's a whole other conversation. All right, so James and Athalia married within months of starting to date, 
but decided to maintain separate residences. He continued living in his house, and she remained in the home she had purchased when first moving to town. Though in part, this could have been because it was sort of a tough real estate market and they were having trouble selling Athalia's home. I love that she kept her own house. Would you do that if you got married again later in life? Because she was, what, 54, 55, 56? I love it. I I love it. I don't don't know who she is. I don't know if she's the culprit in this whole thing, but I love that she kept her own house. Would you do that, Mel? Would you keep your own house if if you got married again, like in 20 years? I don't know. I'm I'm not opposed to it. I'm not opposed to it. I feel like that's a real trend now is, you know, especially with people traveling and living in different, you know, parts of town. I, I don't know. Also, in very, very good investment. Well, and if you're not raising children together, maybe there's something to be said for my space, I mean, your space, our space. Absence makes our heart go fonder. Yeah. Hear our kids laughing in the background there a little I bit? do. They're having fun. Maybe they could have their own house. Mm. No. Mm. We like them too much, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, for the next uh Five well, to six years. They are 13, 14. Or so. maybe for the just next hour and a half while we finish this <laughs> podcast. That could be great. Okay. Just go outside. <laughs> According to Athalia's husband, James, Athalia, quote, simply had more courage than discretion, mm-hmm. which also makes me love her so much. Yes. Spirit it's a nice animal. way of saying, I think, that she butted heads with people and didn't really care what yes. they thought. Love it. I feel like that's you, Alana. Love it. But you maybe care what they think. I, I more. care. You care. Yeah. Yeah, but I like that you speak your mind. Yeah, y'all do too. Well, yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. We all do. So from the time she moved into the house at 124 Marine Street, she was at odds with her neighbors. There was the McCormick family on one side and the Stanford family on the other. They were less than thrilled when she had trees cut down and added bamboo to the end of the driveway. And look... I totally get that. Um, I also live in an older historic neighborhood, as do both of you. I'd be super annoyed if my neighbors just started cutting down trees. I might be even more annoyed at them by adding bamboo. Because it's all to get rid of. It's invasive. Get rid of. Yeah. yeah. Get oh, yeah. Can we look out these back windows right now at the bamboo that, like, was oh. dug up three years ago and is still, like, everywhere? I, I, mean, have, my, is, I have my readers on. Oh, sorry. Okay. <laughs> we will uh, we'll add a picture of the bamboo in my backyard to the website. When um, we moved to our house, literally like the first week, the neighbors were telling us about how the former homeowners who had done a lot of renovation of this historic home, you know, they weren't saying any of the nice things about all the, you know, things that they had done to, to help the neighborhood or help the house. No, it was and they tore down that pecan tree. And I I was actually really kind of like sympathetic because I love mature old trees. And I would be devastated if, you know, we were just talking about some trees being torn up t- earlier today in the neighborhood. But from what I gather, it was right in the middle of the backyard. And so there was like no grass. And, it were, and it's kind of one of those, I never will support an old tree being drug up. But I could actually kind of understand, you know, it's better on the periphery um, Mm -hmm. when you are, especially when you're trying to have kids running around in the grass. Yeah, we had to have two trees removed here during construction. One of them was dead and actually it had been like wrapped in ivy and so it still looked green and so we didn't realize it was dead, but it was huge. 
And they thought they were going to have to bring in a crane to get rid of it. And I was like hyperventilating, thinking, what's that going to cost me? Um, and then we had another one get struck by lightning. But I was very purposeful when I talked to all the neighbors. I was like, we have a dead tree that we don't want to fall on your house. And also, this was beautiful, but just got struck by lightning. Like, you know, I, I was like, I guess I was explaining why we were removing the trees. Oh, I mean, they had to be yeah. removed. They were both really dangerous, um, both to like kids playing and other homes. But, but trees are gossiped about in, in our yes. area of Dallas. You, you know, Dallas in some neighborhoods, there aren't a lot of trees. We're in one of the older areas of Dallas. Um, and so we actually have a lot of very mature, tall trees. But, um, you know, the neighborhood Facebook pages, the minute somebody do, starts out, uh, tearing Bad. down trees, it is, you know, the, the gossip mail goes wild. Yeah. So we sort of get that. I mean, this is what, 1974, mm -hmm. but that's what's happening. And her neighbors are annoyed, which makes sense to me. In addition to their irritation over the trees and the bamboo, the neighbors hated how many dogs Athelia kept at the property. Some reports say she had up to seven dogs at one time. It's a her lot. barking was yeah. amazing. It's a lot. Yeah, it really, it is. Yeah. We love Athelia. Yeah. Seven dogs She's, is a lot. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And we all have dogs too, so. Yeah. But I, I don't want to hear a dog barking outside. Yeah. I just don't. Yeah. Same. All right, so let's fast forward to January 23rd, 1974. Around 5.30, James and Athalia finish up for the day at their real estate office. Athalia went to her house to take care of the pets with plans to meet James at his house to cook a fun dinner to celebrate the Chinese New Year. But she never showed up at James's house. Around 6.30, James received a phone call from someone in town who told him he needed to get to Athalia's house immediately. Something awful had happened, and the police were around the house. Indeed, something awful had happened. Sometime in the last hour, Athalia had been brutally murdered on her front <gasps> steps. Oh. Did you not Sorry. see that coming? I did not. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the podcast, Elena. <laughs> All right, quoting from the book Murder in St. Augustine by Elizabeth Randall, it says, quote, her head was attached by a single sinewy thread to the rest of her body, which rested on the bottom step of the front porch. She stared at nothing with wide open eyes and an almost benign expression, which belied the sprawled, broken doll appearance of the rest of her body. Her blue dress was hiked up, she had lost a shoe, and her pearls were scattered all over the sidewalk. Now, remember, her home is located on a relatively busy street, and all of this occurred sometime during the quote-unquote rush hour of people leaving work and coming home. In the Stanford home to the south of Athalia's, Patty Stanford was standing at the kitchen sink doing dishes when she looked out the kitchen window, quickly grabbed her three-year-old daughter and handed her to her teenage daughter with instructions for her to take the baby and entertain her. About the same time in the house to the north of Athalia's, Rosemary McCormick rushed outside and started shouting for her neighbors, Alan and Patty, to come quick. By 6.08, the McCormick's son, Locke, who at this point was in high school and was really considered like an all-around good kid, called for an ambulance. And once again, I'm going to quote from Elizabeth Randall's book on the murder. Locke told officers that around 6.10, his mother was in the kitchen and he was sitting on the couch in the den watching TV when he heard, quote, loud snapping sounds, like someone, someone's hands clapping. He got up and looked out the window, which faced the Lindsley home. 
he saw a man wearing a white dress shirt and dark pants standing with his back to the McCormick home in front of the steps of the Lindsley home. The man's hair was brown, gray, and closely trimmed. Locke yelled something to his mother and ran outside. About eight to ten feet from the doorstep, he saw the man's shoulders moving up and down as though he were swinging an object outside of Locke's view. The clapping sounds stopped. Then the man began walking slowly south from the Lindsley home and angled off out of his sight. Locke took a few steps forward and saw Athalia's body. He ran into his house and yelled, Call the police. No, call an ambulance first. Left out of the official police report of the crime was Locke's following comment to his mother, which was, Mr. Stanford was hitting Mrs. Ponzel. That's horrifying. I know. I mean, as moms of almost high school boys, doesn't that just break your heart for him? Yes, I can imagine the damage that would do to someone. Yeah. But also proud of him for, like we tell our kids, like, be aware of what's going on. And make your best judgment. And that's what he did. Right. So good for him. Right. Of course, you know, in any crime um, where a woman is murdered, her significant other is going to be the very Mm -hmm. first suspect. And as it turns out, despite being newlyweds, um, Athalia and James were having some marital difficulties. In a letter to her sister Geraldine, Athalia called James a, quote, leech and a liar. And told her sister that her will stated that James would get nothing if she died. He didn't even have a key to her home what? on Marine Street. Wow. They they were taking the separate residences very seriously. Okay, right. And yeah. it was suggested, Geraldine sort of thought that, um, well, I don't want to put thoughts into Geraldine's head. But from what I've read, it sounds like Athalia was very worried about like some of the antiquities mm. and, you know, the nice things they had in their home mm-hmm. after her mother had passed. And considering she had called him a leech and a liar, she mm-hmm. just didn't want him to have access to right. this. However, luckily for James, he had an airtight okay. alibi. When he left his real estate office that evening, shortly after 5.30, he made a stop at the drugstore for cough drops, where he ran into several people he knew and stopped to chat with them. Then he made a second stop for milk, and his neighbor saw him pull into his driveway at 6.05. There just simply couldn't have been enough time for him to have committed the murder and do all of those things and then be back to his home before okay. the call to police came okay. in at 6.08. Now, ruling out the most obvious suspect, the investigation then turned to her next-door neighbor, Alan Griffith Stanford, Jr., Alan's wife, Patty, is the one who looked out her kitchen window and saw something that made her hand her toddler to her daughter and rush out the door. And there was no love lost between these two neighbors. Two years prior to the murder, both the Stanfords and McCormicks on either side of Athalia had filed a public complaint against Athalia, stating that her dogs barked, fought, and howled at Mm. all hours of the day and night. Athalia was charged with disturbing the peace and fined $50, which then led her to board all but three of her dogs. Not long thereafter, the neighbors complained again, which resulted in Athalia being arrested. Oh, dang. Yeah, they weren't messing around. Right. You know, and it's always sort of helpful to step back and look at what someone is going through in Mm -hmm. other areas of their life when when you're assessing a situation and what happened. And in this case, Athalia was going through a lot. Remember, she was taking care of her mother full time, and her mother actually passed away only three days after that arrest. Heartbreaking. Yeah. So I mean, she had she had the stress of that and the grief of her mother. There was just a lot going on. And according to those that knew her, 
She sort of turned into a bit of a vigilante after this and started a campaign to discredit both Colonel McCormick on one side and Alan Stanford on the other. She was quoted as saying in regards to Mr. Stanford, I'm not going to quit until I run him out of town. Yikes. I think she's someone not to be messed with. Right. So Athalia wrote a letter to Colonel McCormick's commanding officer in the National Guard. But when she didn't get the traction there that she wanted, she turned her discrediting efforts to her other neighbor, Mr. Stanford, who worked for the county. And she began fueling rumors that Alan Stanford was receiving materials that the county had paid for at his own home and for his own projects. In addition to this, she was a regular attendee at county commission meetings where she criticized Alan's use of county resources, criticized his high salary, and suggested that he did not have the appropriate training and credentials for his position. Her main contention was that he was signing documents as the county engineer, but didn't have his engineering license and had failed the engineering test. In short, she was aiming to have Alan fired. Now, Elena's going to read us a quick blurb from a letter that Athalia wrote to the Florida State Board of Professional and Occupational Regulations. We feel it our duty to inform of the apparent malpractice of a man who appears to be passing himself as a certified engineer. He signs county legal documents as a county engineer, when as far as we can ascertain, he has no engineering degree in any field. This seeming chicanery casts a shadow on the professional engineering of the state of Florida, comparable to a quack practicing medicine. By bringing this to your attention, we hope it can be investigated and rectified. Now, she was not messing around. She totally wasn't. Okay, and so that's how and why investigators from the Florida State Board of Professional and Occupational Regulations showed up at Alan Stanford's office at 4.15 on the day of Athalia's mm. murder. The investigators met with Alan, and that meeting wrapped up approximately an hour later around 5.15. So when the investigators left, they actually drove by Athalia's house, but they didn't think anyone was home, and so they just planned to come back and visit her tomorrow and get her side of the story. And so it's with this background of animosity between the two and the suspicious timing of an investigation into his professional background that Alan Stanford became the main suspect in Athalia's murder. Mm -hmm. Now, according to Alan, he left his office that day, drove home, and walked immediately into the house, stood at the kitchen sink, and poured himself two drinks. Amen. It sounds like a real bad day at the <laughs> yes, office, Alan, and yes. I get it. I mean, have you had days like that when you come home from work? A hundred percent. Yeah. What about yeah. email? Never. <laughs> In case your boss is listening. (laughs) The two of us are self-employed. Melanie still has a boss to answer to. So, yeah. Many, many years ago at at different jobs, right? Yes, I can imagine. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Okay, so here we have Alan standing at the kitchen sink, having a cocktail, and according to him, reading the newspaper when he sees Athalia pull into her driveway. Now, remember, she is coming home to take care of the dogs before heading to dinner with James. Now, what happens after that remains a mystery, but here is what we can piece together. Investigators believe that Athalia was murdered with a machete. Now, much like the story we talked about in Elena, was it Iowa? Yes. Where they had the axe. Mm -hmm. And we were like, that's really odd. But then we decided, like, everybody in Iowa had an axe at the time. It was just normal. It's really common for the people of St. Augustine to own a machete. Okay. The vegetation easily becomes overgrown. and The bamboo? The bamboo. (laughs) Sorry. Sorry, I didn't interrupt there. (gasps) Yeah. 
um, we're going to be giving you a bamboo. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I'm like, we're going like down this rabbit hole of bamboo <laughs> and what our yard looks like in growing season. It's like this horrible, like, machete forest. So Christmas gift, machete. There we machete, go. Machete, perfect. Done. Okay. So James Lindsley, her husband, even went on record to say that he carried a machete in his car in case he just needed it while showing houses. Alana, would, do you? No. You don't have a machete in no, your car I do not, for showing houses? I don't want one. No. What do you have like a showing kit that you keep in your car? I don't. Do no? you? Well, no. I mean, I used to, but iPhones make things so much easier. So much easier. What, Email. What, what is a showing kit? Well, like just things you keep. Like I always have a measuring tape because you never know. But it's on your phone now. But well, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> and like I used to keep a big flashlight, but again, it's on your phone now. I definitely don't keep a machete. Mm-mm. No. You're looking at me. <laughs> I'm like, no, no, I do not keep a machete. <laughs> All right. So back to the evidence in this crime, ladies. There was a blood trail from Athalia's front porch to the concrete wall of Allen's property. No. Mm-hmm. Mm. And then on to where he had parked his car that afternoon, but the trail didn't go any further than that. Well, c- case closed. Case, uh, right? Right, yeah. <laughs> you know. <laughs> If only we were the judge and the jury in all the cases. Um, now, investigators believe that Alan just snapped. You know, he killed Athalia and then went back to his garage and changed clothes, which is where the laundry was located. Gotta love a laundry in a garage. He wiped as much of the blood as he could off of the machete with an old diaper that needed to be washed. Wow. And so when I was first reading the story, I was like, who keeps an old diaper in their garage? I'm not thinking like a 1974 cloth diaper. <laughs> oh, right. <laughs> right? Like it was in the laundry room <laughs> to be washed. So um, so a cl- think old cloth diaper. And then he bundled the machete and his blood-soaked clothes together and then drove away to dispose of evidence. This is their theory. In fact, the first police officer on the scene went on record as saying that he thinks Patty Stanford and maybe even their teenage daughter saw Alan come across the yard covered in blood. Remember, she was standing at her kitchen sink, handed the baby to her daughter and was like, Mm. go take care of the baby. He theorized that why else would Patty let her children go out into the yard to play right after the crime occurred or let her teenage daughter drive by herself to a school event that evening? You know, if they thought that some, like, crazed murderer was on the loose, wouldn't they want to keep their kids in the house under lock and key? Which makes a lot of sense to me. Mm -hmm. I mean, if we had seen a murder in our neighborhood, are you letting your kids go out and play? If my next-door neighbor had been murdered, even if they hadn't seen it, I think I would keep them close. I mean, for sure, it it just— it seems even, odd. Yeah, I don't even know that I would let them close to a window. I'd be like, go sit in this bathroom and with this, no windows. And, and this was on Here's front iPad. steps of the house. Right. And this is a fairly busy street. I've looked up this um, um, street in this neighborhood online. It is only a couple, maybe one block away from the bay. I mean, this is a high, high value property today. I can only imagine it was still pretty nice back then. But... Th- what? No, I mean, it, it's such a out of um, norm, mm-hmm. I can imagine, mm-hmm. kind of crime that these people would not be immune to it at mm-hmm. all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Even if you don't like your next door neighbor, you would feel like weird about it, sad, hopefully. Well, and if you don't know who killed her. Worried. Aren't you worried that it might happen to you? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 So, okay. So a search warrant is issued for Alan Stanford's home and in vehicle. And indeed, they find blood in both his garage and in his car. 
But without a murder weapon, the police just don't think they have enough evidence against him. So about a month later, at an impasse in the case, the sheriff offers a $500 reward to anyone that can find the murder weapon. Hmm. And lo and behold, someone finds the machete in a junkyard along with... A junkyard? Well, yeah. You know, okay. why not? I'm just saying that if I was getting rid of a, a machete and I live a block from the ocean, I'm... <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. <laughs> Dang. She swapped this out. <laughs> All right. So they do find the stuff. Um, and along with the machete, they find a rolled up towel that contained a wristwatch stained with blood, dark blue pants, and a white shirt stained with blood, a baby diaper with blue paint on it, Ooh. a black belt, and a purple tie. Investigators also located blonde hairs on both the clothes and the machete. This is all found in the junkyard. All of this, yeah, together, like at the same time. So a warrant for Alan's arrest was issued five days after this discovery. Five, okay. Five. And now you would think that that would sort of be the end of the story. Uh, But we know how town politics plays into trials, and this one is really no exception. An excerpt from Murder in St. Augustine says that, quote, Anne Heyman, a reporter at the St. Augustine Record, remembered the day Alan was arrested because, quote, all the junior league girls were crying. Hmm. She goes on to say that, in fact, public sympathy had coalesced on Alan's side. The Stanfords were a prominent and popular family in St. John's County. Either people didn't believe Alan committed murder or they thought Athalia had it coming. Dang. Mm-hmm. That's messed up. Mm-hmm. And it's with this background that the prosecution requested a change of venue because they thought Athalia was so hated and Alan was so well-respected that they wouldn't be able to seat a jury that didn't have a bias toward Alan's innocence. But that request was denied. That's a theme. Mm-hmm. I mean, we have so many themes. That, that could never, he, he could never do that. Exactly. Melanie, well, you're my, just like, my, my jaws just dropped because this is, once again... A every like every evidence points. I guess they did not have DNA evidence back not really. then. No. So from you know it, it was not a slam dunk. But come on, mm-hmm. I mean this isn't just circumstantial. This is pretty clear evidence. Mm-hmm. You're totally right, Mel. You know they denied this change of venue, and despite the fact that the prosecutors were able to link. Each article of clothing found in the marsh to Alan. Now get this. The salesperson who sold the pants to Mrs. Stanford testified to the sale, which was also backed up by credit card receipts. The shirt found in the marsh had the Stanford dry cleaner stamp inside. And the watch serial number matched the jeweler's records. Now, in addition to this, the paint on the diaper was matched to paint that the Stanfords had purchased at Sherwin-Williams the year prior. It's like, check, 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 right? However, Alan was not convicted of the murder of Athalia Ponzel Lindsay. The sheriff closed the case saying that to continue would would be to prosecute an innocent person. And in his memoir, Not Guilty, Alan Stanford's attorney was asked if he thought Alan was guilty of Athalia's murder. He simply replied, I never asked him. (sighs) All right, ladies. So what happened to this house 
after the murder of Athalia Pons-Lindsley. Mel, you actually did some research on this for us because I was like juggling and running a little bit late and we couldn't figure out who bought it immediately after the crime had occurred. But it sounds like it's had the same owner since the early 80s. Yeah, since like uh, the early 80s, same family, um, um, an older woman who lives there, uh, but she and her husband had bought it around 85 and they were kind of well-to-do um, in, in the area. She may have had an interior design uh, business, but I don't want to speculate other just from some businesses that seem to be located there. But it seems like it was updated in around 1993 per the, you know, the property records, but it mm-hmm. looks nice. I mean, some of these houses next door to it nowadays are amazing. And we're, we're talking to like one to two million dollar houses plus in oh, this yeah. on the street now. And this is just like south of the historic district, kind of on a V neck, like a little V that goes with water on both sides of it. And then right to the uh, west of it is, um, I think it's called Lincolnville. Um, and it is m- what my girlfriend uh, described as kind of the East uh, Austin area, very kind of artsy, fun uh, neighborhood, um, the uh, uh, original kind of African-American neighborhood um, uh, for St. Augustine. But yes, I mean, this is high value luxury area. Sounds like the same family has kind of owned it a long time. Um, I can only imagine when it goes for sale at some point in the future, you know, what they'll be able to get for it. Um, I did notice that the property taxes were much lower than I would have expected. So I'd love to get your ideas on that. Um, You know, I mean, well, Texas is notorious for having some of the highest property taxes in the country because we don't have state income tax. So, you know, you have to make up for it somewhere. But then also, you know, if you've owned a home for a long time, there's a lot of homestead homes. Well, I I don't know if other states have homestead. That might just be a Texas thing where you get to claim sort of a a privilege on the one home that you own and live in for lower taxes. Um, But there are a lot of like, it can't appreciate more than X percent a year. So if you've owned something since 83, you know, probably the appreciation for tax records may not keep up with the appreciation and actual value. And then a lot of states give, you know, like senior exemptions and, and all sorts of things. But, you know, I think this house meets sort of the two roles of real estate. You know, it's got location, location, location. It's in a fabulous location. And then you also hit sort of supply and demand because you're in St. Augustine, which is not a very big area. And so, you know, there's just not a lot of houses coming yeah. up for sale there. Yeah, no, it, it, it looked gorgeous online. We'll, we'll be posting pictures. One of my um, best friends, uh, shout out MB. I know you're a very loyal listener to our podcast. Um, she is in the early stages of planning a, um, a move from Austin to St. Augustine. And oh. when she first said that, I'm like, St. Augustine? Like, where's, I mean, I knew where it was, but it just seemed so random for her and her husband to be moving there. They don't have any family that uh, that lives there, um, they, although they have family closer to there than to uh, Texas. And then when I started looking at it, I started going, oh, this is actually a really neat neighborhood. I mean, and they are looking at some of the historic properties as well. I mean, I, I, you know, I love an old neighborhood. I like a thing with character and definitely seeing the St. Augustine area has a lot of character. 
well, hopefully she'll get something with a guest house and we can just all go and visit. Oh, oh yeah. No, we're, we've, I've already told her, I'm like, you don't need anything big. She's got a beautiful um, kind of uh, mini ranch outside of Austin, about six acres right now. And it's great, but it's just the two of them. And I'm like, you don't need anything big, but you do need an extra bedroom. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. Well, ladies, as we always do, pull out your pocketbooks. Would you buy this? Would you lease it? Would you list it? What does, are you thinking? Does Alan still live there? Well, Alan's dead now. Uh, Alan died in around 2006 in South Carolina. Yeah. Oh, he, okay. he did move away from St. Augustine, got remarried. I'm going to say no. No. Oh, interesting. You are so interesting. I can never <laughs> I the board. you. I can never pick I know. you. I, know. I, I just don't know. It's just a feeling. I don't know. I like, I like that you go with your gut. <laughs> what about email? Well, yes, because I've seen pictures of the neighborhood in the house, and I think it's really nice, and I would love to live by the ocean. Um, and a house with, uh, you know, built-in character, and the murder was just on the front porch. That's where I'm just going Just on this. the front porch. That just, no, okay. No. Yeah. You were totally fine to, to get that one house in Houston that, that that it was just in the foyer. Well, yeah. No, I get yeah. it. I, I, don't, I don't know. I don't know. I can't, I can't explain it. I, I love that you go with your gut. I am all in on this house. Okay. It is gorgeous. It's on almost half acre. It is close to the ocean. Mm. I I think there's something so restorative about the ocean and I love it so much. My boys don't love it as much as I do. So like in my dream, I would have a retirement home close to the ocean. Without or with the boys? Well, no. Well, in my dream, I have retirement <laughs> homes all over the country. I've got the ocean house and the mountain house. Paris and, the, and yeah. 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 So I mean, we're dreaming. We, we just, can go big here. Right. Exactly. We'll just travel from one to the other. But no, I'm all in. I would live there. I love the style of the home. It, the murder just happened. Just, it just, it just, it's it a thing. Outside. It happens. So I feel like you could come in through the garage and never know about it. Our kids would be old enough that at that point in time, we're not having to put them in Florida schools. True. Yeah, obviously, by the time we can afford a house in Florida, we don't have kids in school. Let's be clear. Yeah, true. Yeah, Elena, you're next. Do you want to like give us a sneak peek of next well, week's episode? I'm not sure what when this will be released, but um, we're back in California. Oh, mine. Yeah. you just love I California. I love California. Yes. Okay. I do. Yeah. And it's a fairly recent Crime. It is. Uh, 2008-ish. Okay. So, yeah. Is that our like most recent one? I'd have to go back and look. I think it but might be. It might be. I think it might be. Yay. Okay. Well, I'm excited. I, I know what it is. And I think it's a fascinating story. It but really I haven't is. dug deep into it. Yeah. So I'm really excited to hear what you have awesome. to say. Awesome. All right. Well, that is it for us. We will see you all next week. We hope you continue tuning in. We hope you like and subscribe. And of course, give us a five-star rating and review. Hey, y'all. Thanks for listening and being a part of our Crime Estate family. If you're curious about today's featured Crime Estate, you could find additional photos and details from today's episode online at crimestatepodcast.com or on Facebook and Instagram by following at Crime Estate Podcast. Have a Crime Estate we should cover? Shoot us an email at crimeestatepodcast at gmail.com. Until next week. <laughs>